Happy Father's Day to all you fathers and father-like influencers. Just, it is your day. Go home, play around a golf, take a nap, seize the remote control, eat where you want to eat. You do what you want to do today. It is your day, and we celebrate you. We celebrate you guys, uh, regardless of whether or not it's biological. We know that you influence and you empower other men and other, other guys as they are being reared in the way of the Lord. And so we just want to say thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for who you are and who you're helping us to be. I look back through my life, and this morning I sent several texts, one to my earthly father, and then I sent one to a couple other guys that have just meant so much to me through the years. I spoke to one this last week and just said, I just want to say thank you for what it is that you have done in my life as an influencer. So guys, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm the lead pastor here. just want to welcome you guys into this space. Uh, these guys are great. Chris is gone this week. He's spending the week in the Big Apple up in New York. And so Zach and the guys just decided that, hey, let's strip down and do a little something acoustic this week. And so I uh, just want to welcome you guys into this space called Wellhouse. If you don't know anything about Wellhouse, here's what you need to know that we are a community of imperfect people. And so if you got drug in here this morning and you're going, listen, I don't know why I'm at church. I don't really feel comfortable at church. I'm not sure I belong in church. I'm not sure if they knew who I was that they would let me stay in church. Just can we exhale on that? We are a community of imperfect p- people. So anybody that's sitting around you, uh, they are imperfect too. And we, we just kind of proclaim that, that we are imperfect people. We do not have it together. Uh, there are times, there are rhythms in life where things just aren't good. We aren't good. And, uh, but we know that God is authorized something different in each of our lives. And so we just want to welcome you to this space. We want to welcome you to a place where hopefully you feel comfortable and God can begin to do something in your life. Maybe today you leave with just a question or curiosity, or maybe you leave feeling comfortable in some space that you thought would be tense. Whatever it is on the scale, we want you to know that you're welcomed here. And we mean that. We really, really do. We kind of hang our hats on that. And so we serve a perfect God and he's going to do what he does in time. And you're going to see that displayed today, that we've had some people who God has been churning and been working in their lives. And so we're going to celebrate as family today. We're having baptism Sunday. We got four people. And and if you want to do that, we'll make arrangements. We don't have to quit. We can go all day with that. But we have four people who've decided that today's the day they want to take that next step into baptism. We'll talk about that later, but we're going to celebrate as family uh, a little bit later in our service. I just want to welcome you guys. I want to pray for us. We're going to be uh, in part three of our series. If you haven't been here for the other parts, that's fine. I'm going to give you a quick catch up and we'll get into today's text on pray like this. So let's pray. Father, we just pray that in these next few minutes that you would clear our minds, clear our hearts. I know there's a lot of distractions there. It is Father's Day and we're already beginning to think about what every everything we've got to do this afternoon or meeting with parents or meeting with, or maybe for some it's the, the, the void that's been left. And God, there's just a lot going on in our lives right now. It's the middle of summer. We're thinking about a vacation we just came off of or a vacation that we can't wait to get to or who's gone and who's missing. And so, Father, I pray in this moment that your spirit would sweep this place and that there would be just a a calmness and a peace for just a moment as we look through this prayer that's probably familiar to most of us. Even if we're not believers, we've heard of the Lord's prayer. We've, We've been in some way taught this or we have somehow gained access to this, or we have been witness to someone else praying it. And Father, we pray that you breathe new life into this. And in doing so, you breathe new life into our prayer lives and into our lives as we navigate through it day to day. So Father, just do what it is that you do in these next few minutes. Guys, this has nothing to do with me. You know that, God. So use me in the next few minutes to impart something that is of you, to be heard by you, and shape our lives as only you can. We pray this through your son's name. Amen.
If you haven't been here, we've just been kind of working through the Lord's Prayer, and the Lord's Prayer is really a response to a request. It's a question. The disciples, those that were closest to Jesus, kind of his inner circle, they came to Jesus after witnessing him praying, and they just came up with a really basic request. They said, hey, Lord, can you teach us to pray? We want to pray like you pray. You seem to pray different. There's something deeper. There's something very intimate. And so they, they say, Lord, teach us to pray, or can you teach us to pray? And so we just said, we're going to ask the same question. Lord, over the next few weeks, will you just teach us to pray? And for some of us, we have really solid, healthy prayer lives. But what we're starting to see already in this, that there is a renewed sense or there's an awareness of some things that maybe we've forgotten that has been infused back into our prayer lives. I've already talked to some people over the last few weeks that I know have solid prayer lives, people that I call on to pray for me, who have said already that I'm beginning my prayer life different. And as a result of that, I'm beginning to see God reveal some things in some new ways. I've seen some people and heard of some people already in this this two weeks that we've been doing this that said, listen, I really wasn't much of a prayer. I didn't know what to say. I didn't really understand prayer. Didn't know where to begin. But now after day 10, day 14, I'm beginning to find some rhythms. And so this is for everybody. This is for anyone. It's the response to saying, Lord, teach us to pray. Here's what we've seen so far. We've seen God, through Jesus, introduce this concept of fatherhood. Jesus begins the prayer and he says, our Father in heaven. And so we begin to see right off the bat that there is an intimate call to this, that there is a relationship in this to be had. And it's a father-like relationship that says this, that not only am I his, but he is mine. And I have access to the Father. We called last week, we said it was kind of like the term daddy. That's a very intimate term. And then we see him go, hallowed be your name. So we see that fatherhood leads us to this place where we begin to adore, where we proclaim his worthiness. He says, hallowed be your name, holy be your name, reverent be your name. And and we said last week that part of that is a declaration to the greatness of who God is. That part of our prayer life is just proclaiming, God, you are holy, you are great. But we said it goes farther than our mouths. It goes beyond what we say in prayer, but also what we do in life. So as we navigate life in these moments, as, is, is my life proclaiming the goodness of God? Is, is what I'm about to embark on or my attitude or how I treat someone, does it also, along with my words in my prayer, does it proclaim that the, the name of God is great? The name of God is Holy. And that's just the beginning of the prayer. That's just the beginning. And so as we take this next level deep, what I see is that today was really kind of instilled in me as a child. If you don't know anything about me, here's what you need to know, that I'm a a tad OCD when it comes to the details and the placement of things. I, along with another guy, unnamed, we are the guys that come in here after setup's done and we're moving curtains two inches because there's just a little bit of a sliver and I see that sliver and I'm over here. You guys laugh. I think it annoys the setup team because they're like, what did we just do? But me and another guy, we're always like, I don't know, man, that curtain, like there's more of a bunch right there than, I don't know, let's just kind of, that's me. But this started as a kid. I'm a collector of things, and so as, as a child, I would uh, collect different things. I loved to collect trinkets, and I collected baseball and football cards. I collected all sorts of stuff. But in my room is where I would display this stuff, and I was very meticulous about my shelving and where things were. If you were to come into my room and you were to move a model car that I had built from one shelf to the other, I would immediately notice I was that kid. I'm that adult. 
And so I would notice that something was moved. If you moved a model car from my shelf, from this side of the shelf to this side of the shelf, I would go, something's not right. It's that car. Now, here's what always, always, always happened. Anytime something was moved in my room, I would immediately go out of my room and go on a hunt for my sister. <laughs> my sister's about three and a half, four years younger than, than I am. And so I would go and go, what are you doing in my room? And, and she would go, well, I had to get something out of the closet. I'm like, it's my room. And it would blow up into this massive fight. And we would wrestle and I would end up hitting her. And I'm not proud of these moments. I've come a long way. But it would blow up into these, these moments. And she's like, what's the big deal? Like, all I did was move a pair of shoes to get something. Out. And I was like, stay out of my room. So I came home one day, and I noticed that there had been several things rearranged. And I thought my sister was doing this just to get on my nerves. And so I come in, and I notice there's several things. And so what do I do? I, I go on the rampage. I'm looking. So my sister's in her room. And so I just, I don't knock. I just barge in. And I just begin knocking stuff off her shelves. I'm like, you want to touch the stuff on my shelves? I'm going to touch the stuff on your shelves. And so we're having this big moment. It turns into this blow up. And next thing I know, my mom is in the room, and she goes, what is going on? And she took a tone that I knew better than what I was about to do. I knew better, but I went ahead. I said, well, she's been in my room, and, and there was some stuff moved, and, and, and I don't like her in my room. We've done this. So I keep her out of my room, and I even thought about putting like a padlock on my, it was crazy. And so in this moment, my mom said, Jason, I'm the one who moved your stuff. And so in my wisdom and maturity, I looked at my mom and said, I don't want you touching my stuff either. It's my room. I am still alive. My mom is a small lady, but powerful. And this is what she said. It might be your room, but it is my house. And that was it. I didn't open up my mouth again until the next time. But uh, here's what my mom was doing. My mom was establishing something that was going to pay dividends in my life years down the road. Not just in physical stuff, but also when it comes to this next text or this next part of the prayer. What I didn't know was my mom was really laying the groundwork for me to grow into a better understanding of what Jesus is about to say. And if we don't grasp what Jesus is about to say here, I'm, I'm afraid that we're going to really kind of miss a skip. We're going to miss a beat in what it means to really have a relationship with Jesus, what it means to walk faithfully alongside of Jesus. And my mom had a way of teaching me this very thing. And so we pick back up in Matthew chapter 6, which this prayer, by the way, is just a response to the questions the disciples ask. Lord, will you teach us to pray? And he says, okay, well, then here's how you pray. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What we see is we see a shift that takes place really three lines into this prayer. What Jesus does is he shifts us from adoration, our Father, hallowed be your name. He shifts us from adoration to authority. See, the kingdom and will of God is about authority. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what we see is that, that God's glory 
that God's honor, his worthiness, the hallowed, is directly connected. It's directly tied to a matter of authority. See, he is to be hallowed. He is to be glorified. He is, he is meant to become great in our lives. He is meant to be made great. Why? Because he is God. He's in charge. He's king. It's his kingdom. Now, a couple of things come into play here. In order to fully grasp what Jesus is praying, and in order for us to begin to encompass this, really kind of get this, really take this next step for us in our prayer life and how it affects us, there's a couple of things at play. Number one is this. We got to ask, what's the kingdom? What's he talking about when he says kingdom? And then we also got to begin to wrestle with, what is my response to finding out the answer to that? Now, the Bible, what you need to know is the Bible's full of kingdom talk. Really kind of from the beginning and early on, you see this through the Old Testament, you see it on into the New Testament, but there's all sorts of kingdom references. So what happens then and, and what we've kind of dealt with throughout the course of history is this. There's a lot of differing thoughts, a lot of what I don't have time to dissect today, and, and maybe we'll come back to this concept of kingdom or I'll point you to some other things if you want to continue to wrestle beyond this. But most of them have to do with the element of time and space. When we talk about the kingdom, here, here's what comes up. Here's what surfaces. Are we talking about then or now? Are we talking about here or are we talking about there? Are we talking about is it to come or has it already came? Or has, are we talking about future? Are we talking about present? Now, the people that Jesus would have been talking to, the crowd that would have been gathered there, namely the disciples and maybe a few others, they would have probably almost certainly gone to a, what it would be considered like a Davidic hope. And what I mean by that, I don't want to get real churchy on it, but I think you need to understand this from a historical standpoint, that what Jesus was, was what he said and what they would have heard was that there was going to be a Davidic hope, meaning that there was a hope of a new David, that there was going to be a new earthly kingdom where the people of Israel governed much as King David and Solomon and Saul, all these kings, as they had governed, and there was a prominence that went with that, that Israel was the nation. It was the prominent nation, and so they were looking to Jesus to be the new king. They had been waiting on a Messiah. They had been waiting on the Messianic king, and so people of Israel automatically thought, this is what we're waiting on. The kingdom come where we can be restored much like in the times of David and we can be governed and we can rule like in the times of David. And again, the view would have been marked by newness or renewal, a newness or a renewal of power, reign, and authority. So is this what Jesus is talking about? Is he talking about prominence? Well, no, not exactly. See, when Jesus speaks of the kingdom, he's not referring of the kingdom as a geopolitical thing. He's not saying that it's going to be a governing thing as in politics and, and rule and reign when it comes to the earthly, as we tend to think of it, or definitely as they would have thought of it. No, no, Jesus says, no, no, it's much larger than that. It goes beyond territory. It goes beyond just a kingship and authority and rule. He speaks also in terms of newness, but it's not in newness like they thought of or that they were hoping for. He speaks of new creation. He speaks of new power or empowerment. He speaks of new covenant, new relationship, and new obedience. He says that, no, 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 this form of kingdom that I'm talking about, he says it, it is going to be people-shaped, and it will shape people. It's not about territories and reigns and rules and castles and all that goes with that. See, he meant that there would be a kingdom. 
that would come or a kingdom that was coming that would mean that there would be a gathering, a society, or a church of God's people, and they would flourish in the world regardless of what was happening in the world. That it was to supersede time and space. That they would find themselves, no matter the time, space, or circumstance, they would find themselves encompassed in and living into the kingdom. But you go, Jason, hold up. There's a mention of this at, you know, in, on earth as it is in heaven. So, I mean, which is it, right? Is it the kingdom on earth or is it kingdom in heaven? I mean, is it like this as in end times heaven? And the answer is yes. God's kingdom is not just a far off, one day, I hope, heaven, future tense, something to be hoped for when all of this is over. He says, it's that, but it's more. He says, the kingdom is this. It's his rule and his reign over everything, here and now. We see this really begin to take shape as the psalmist talk about this. In Psalm 103, it says this, that the, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and, or but, his kingdom rules over all. That there's this thought of, yes, there is a rule in heaven, but there is something for the here and now that the kingdom is about reign and rule over all. Now, let me just give you a side note on this, especially connecting this to prayer. If God isn't over all, here and now, if God isn't ruling over all, if God isn't reigning over all, if God isn't controlling all of this, then why pray? Why pray? If we don't believe that God has reign and rule over the here and now, over the good times, the bad times, the ups, the downs, the mountains and the valleys, then why pray? See, he connects this. That God's kingdom, his reign, his rule is over all of this. That's why we pray. If he can't change it, fix it, or control it, then why pray about it? He says, no, no, no. I'm going to introduce to you that when you pray, the kingdom come, meaning that God has reign and rule over all of this. And here's what Jesus does. He blows the walls. He blows the borders. He expands the borders of prayer, of what it means to pray what it means to surrender and encompass this in our daily lives. And see, it's not about just ritual. See, he covers that in the verses before that. You know, the people that go and stand out on the street corners and pray loud, you know, the ritual, the religious stuff. He goes, no, it's so much bigger than that, that the kingdom of God is going to touch way more than that. And it's not just about you. It's not just about your stuff and the small stuff, the right now stuff. It's about everything, anytime, any place, and anywhere. He says, your prayers have no borders. I think this is what shapes guys like Paul. And if you don't know Paul, Paul's a later follower of Jesus who really church plants and mentors some young ministers. So in, in his mentorship with a guy named Timothy, he urges him to pray kingdom. Pray with this in mind that, yes, there's a throne in heaven, but there's, there's a kingdom that, that touches everything. And that your prayers infiltrate all of those things. He says in, in, in Second Tim, or, uh, 1 Timothy 2, listen to this. This is him talking to a young preacher. He says, I urge you then, first of all, that prayers, petitions, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for 
all people. And then he's going to say, okay, let's even get to the highest places for kings and all those in authority that we may, be, we may live peaceful and quiet lives and all godliness and holiness. This is good and it pleases God. Here's what he's saying. Our prayers affect all things. And you go, how? Because God's ruling over all things. There's no place that exists in your lives or in the lives of the others There's no place that exists, space and time, where the borders of the kingdom doesn't touch or extend. So here's what's at play. Now, I don't know how it is you pray when you pray this, but here's what's at play. My health, yes. My family stuff, yes. My finances, yes. The big interview I've got, yes. You know, that next step with with, with my girlfriend or my boyfriend or my marriage, yes. My kids, yes. All of my stuff, yes, but here's what's also at play. When we begin to expand, when we blow the borders off of what he's talking about, that the kingdom of God reigns and rules and is controlled over all, guess what else comes into play? Things that, I'm going to be honest, I've not always been very consistent praying about. Things that, in my mind, I, I know that God is in control, but I just feel like that because it doesn't touch me, that I'm not really sure what to do with it. And Jesus says, pray it. Because here's what also is at play. Poverty comes into play. And racism comes into play. And war and corruption and marriage, yes, kids, yes, but world troubles and city issues, government sin and evil. See, and when I begin to get in tune with, hold up, I'm praying that God's kingdom comes not just in my own life, but I'm beginning to to hope and pray that God's kingdom comes into these areas. All of a sudden, I begin to go, you know what, I have a responsibility in some of those areas. I have a responsibility in poverty. I I have a voice and responsibility in racism. I have a voice and responsibility in war and corruption and government. That's what he tells Timothy, right? Pray for the kings. Pray for government. Pray for these things. Why? Because your prayer touches those things. The kingdom of God touches all of those things. God rule is in all of those things. Let me just kind of put it to you like this. The kingdom of God is not limited to a physical space and a physical time. It's the realm where God's rule is lovingly embraced. It's wherever that God's realm is lovingly embraced, where his rule is lovingly embraced. So when he prays, when Jesus prays, your kingdom come, here's what he's praying. This is what we're praying. Father, may your kingdom come in our lives here and now. And this happens when we are surrendered to the will of God. That's why he matches. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It happens when we are surrendered to the will of God, when every day we wake up and say, God, I'm going to die today to my desires. I'm going I'm to die to my prejudices. I'm going to die to my selfishness. I'm going to die. I'm going to embrace your rule. And by the way, this isn't heavy stuff. His rule is not heavy. Jesus says that it's light, primarily because it's based on just loving God and loving people. He says, but therefore, he says, delight in this. Guys, I'm going to be honest. This isn't how I always operate. This isn't how we operate sometimes. I think sometimes we have more of this kind of view. We have this view that where we believe that God is, is a cosmic king, we believe his kingdom's there, but I also have my kingdom, and it kind of sits over here. 
And while I believe that, yes, there's a, a cosmic God, that, yes, he's controlling, that he is over all of these things, but there's still this little kingdom that I have that I'm in charge of. And so everything I do, everything I wake up, and, and what motivates me, what moves me is how it is that I'm building up my kingdom, how I'm taking care of my kingdom, who it is that's intruding on my kingdom. And so I become very my kingdom oriented very quickly. And so I compartmentalize things like, okay, yeah, God, you get this. And that's a big chunk, God, but I got some things over here that is my kingdom, some things I'm storing up, some things that I'm kind of preserving, some things I'm building because my kingdom one day is going to come into play when it comes to retirement or my kingdom's going to one day come into play. And so I become kind of a sub-king in my own kingdom, even if I believe that there's a cosmic God, that there is this kingdom that's out there, I still operate like this. Some of us know it, some of us aren't even aware of it, but this is how we typically, and Jesus says, no, 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 when you pray our kingdom, when you pray that, that his kingdom come, here's what he's saying. He says, I'm going to move my kingdom into your kingdom. That there's going to be a shift that, guess what, I, I don't get to operate in, in, in these little sub-realms anymore. All of a sudden, all of my kingdom becomes his kingdom, that it's his rule. My job is now ruled. The ethics in which I operate my job is ruled by him. My family and the way that I centralize and focalize my family, my security, my worries, my dreams, my stuff, my doubts, and guess what else goes in there? My fears. What I have found is that when my kingdom, when it's out here, when my kingdom gets threatened, that's when I begin to feel fear. And when I feel fear, I begin to make decisions as king. Now I'm in charge. And I've got to do whatever it is that I can to eradicate these moments in my life. Because we can't pray, you be king, and not pray for the king. Because with the kingdom comes the king. And you can't pray for the kingdom and then brush off the king that comes with it. And I can't say this loud enough. Guys, this has massive implications on so much. Because here's what happens. It's going to start in our hearts. It's going to start in our lives and in time. It will begin to permeate outward into our world where we begin to realize that we have an active part and a participating part and what God is doing all over the place. Michael Kelly, an author, says this. He says that when we pray for the kingdom of God to come and the will of God to be done, it's then our responsibility to act, to participate in faith, doing the things that are tangible examples of the rule and reign of God. Now, I'm going to get personal for a second. If you're new here, just kind of check out if you want. I'm going to talk to those of us who have been Christians for a moment, been Jesus followers. Guys, we can't pray, so I'm just going to say it like this. Don't pray for the kingdom to come and his will be done and then turn a blind eye to what the king sees and wants us to see. We, we can't pray, kingdom come, your will be done, and not take note of and care about what God cares about. Don't pray the kingdom come, your will be done, and not care for your neighbors. Don't pray, kingdom come, your will be done, and then not care about those who can't care about themselves or don't care about themselves. Don't pray, kingdom come, your will be done, and be okay in unjust situations happening around you and you not fighting for justice. 
Don't pray, kingdom come, your will be done, and not extend mercy to those who don't deserve mercy. That we can list somehow, well, I can tell you 15 ways why they don't deserve, and you fill in your own blank. Don't pray, kingdom come, and not be willing to extend mercy and forgiveness. Don't pray, kingdom come, and then have a list of who it is that fits into your lovability. Well, I love those who are easier. I love those who fit this kind of criteria, but I can't love the unlovable, and I definitely can't love my enemy. Because Jesus says, when you pray, my kingdom come, guess what? I get to set the bar. I get to determine what matters and what doesn't. I get to determine, based on your surrender and my rule, your reign, I get to determine what it is and who it is and how it is that we're going to navigate life. That's what it means. So see, the kingdom coming isn't just praying, Jesus, will you please come back and take us off this hole called earth? God, I can't wait to get to you. That's in part, but it's not all. See, the kingdom comes when his will is done. When we make it known, when we make his kingdom manifest in our lives, the kingdom comes, and it is here and now. And with the kingdom comes the king. And again, I don't know about you, but there are times in my life, and I still fight these. I told you we're imperfect people. Where it creeps back in. And what I find myself is in the midst of this. I don't mind taking all the benefits of the kingdom. I love being in the realm. I love the blessings. Oh, God, just continue to bless me. And God, I want all the benefits of the kingdom. But I clench my hands. And I hold tightly of letting go of my will. Letting go of control and my desire. And when I say your kingdom come, I'm saying your king, and I'm saying, God, I'm going to do my best today to unclench, to lay it down. And so whatever you want is what I want. Whatever you think is the way I want to think. Whatever you see is what I want to see. Whatever you desire, well, guess what? That's what I'm going to be about. And it's not a bad thing. Like I said, guys, this is a comforting thing. It's an empowering thing. It's an exciting thing. And the reason why is this, is that the kingdom is present right now to those who surrender their lives to Jesus. Who say, God, it is about your kingdom. It's about your desires. It's, it's you being king. And I love what God does in this. God takes these moments of submission. He takes these moments of surrender. And he says, listen, I'm not going to treat you like a slave. I'm not going to treat you like a hired hand. I'm going to treat you like a partner. And so when you surrender to my will, when you surrender to my desire, when you claim my kingdom, we become partners in this. We become partners with God. Our relationship then with God becomes a conduit into which he brings others into the kingdom. Again, this happens when we live, and this is so personal, yet it's so universal. Can he intercede on behalf of my really tough week? Absolutely. Can he, can he intercede on behalf of some really tough news and a bad day and a long stretch of bad days? Absolutely. But he can also act on behalf of what we see happening worldwide. And here's what I love about God. That he's taking all of that, that rule, that reign, that authority that we talked about, and he's working all of that toward redemption, toward you and I being better toward us experiencing a full life, 
And here's the great thing, great news that I've got this morning. That God is good even when life is not. That life lived in God's kingdom is good even when the earthly realm is not. Why? Because he's always a good king. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we land this morning, I just really got a question. That's this. Is God king? I don't really know any other flowery way to ask that. Is God king? Is it that we just continue to grab at parts of the kingdom, or is God king? See, what it comes down to is submission and obedience. And those are two words that we typically don't like, do we? Those are, those are bad words. Those are negative words, and they come with so much baggage. But what I love is that a loving relationship that starts with our Father reclaims those words where submission and obedience becomes a good thing. That's why Jesus says in John 14, John says, if you love, or Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And he goes on to say that, you know, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. Love God, love people. But if you love me, if you have this father to son, father to daughter, a family relationship, then obedience just comes not because there's a checklist involved and I'm worried that if I don't do enough and if I'm not good enough and if I mess up enough, God's just going to kind of boot me out of the family. No, it's when, when I'm striving, God, every day, I'm striving to make my kingdom your kingdom. And see, we pray this so we can do this. We pray your kingdom comes so that I will somehow be infused through the Spirit and I will begin to discern what's the next step for my life in the footsteps of Jesus. That I can begin to discern what's important. I can begin to connect submission and obedience in my prayers all together so that I can begin to live these things out. You guys stand with me. We may not experience and probably won't experience the fullness of this. That's the not yet part. I told you there's kind of a yes answer to that. But we can experience a foretaste and we can be witnesses to what it's like to be and live, and to experience the kingdom of God, enjoying it, participating it here and now. So my question is, what's your next step for maybe you this week? It's just unclenching. Maybe it's something small. You know, in my house, sometimes it's finances that are hard to let God just, okay, God, you got this. For me, sometimes it's hard to let go of time. It's, it's hard to let go of hobby. It's hard to let go of, of, of worry. Just find one area this week that you can begin to unclench and say, God, <laughs> this is in your kingdom. It's in your realm. It's in your rule. And I'm going to lovingly, lovingly embrace you in that. And just find these areas. So for you this week, maybe it's just letting go. Like I said, even if it's something small. Maybe for you, your next step is just giving your life to Jesus. We're going to see the culmination of all that today for four people who've said, listen, I, I surrender to Jesus. And it's all about him. It's about his rule, his reign. And the next step that I want to take is I want to be baptized. And we're going to celebrate together. But it, it, it's, it's this, God, I need to make you king. I can't pray kingdom come if I've not even given my life to you. Maybe that's your next step, and we'd love to talk to you about what that looks like and what that means and how that's going to shape and mold your life. Maybe for you, it's just my next step is needing to experience the grace and mercy and forgiveness because I come from a long line of poor decisions and bad mistakes. 
We say this often here. We don't care what you did last night. We care about where God's going to take you tonight, tomorrow night, and therefore. So maybe for you, it's just you need to experience forgiveness that only the Father can provide, and you need to regain trust and confidence before you can begin taking other steps. Maybe for you, connection, community is that next step. We're never meant to live life alone. We're meant to live life together. Celebrating as family, creating accountability as family, feeling value as family. We want to to help you take those next steps into connecting. I pray this week that your next week is filled with next steps. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you will begin to chip away, you will begin to untighten and unclench our hands when it comes to our kingdom. God, may we mean what we, we ask for. May we embrace, lovingly embrace that which comes when we pray. Your kingdom come and your will be done. God, give me the courage, give me the strength, give me the discipline it's going to take to step into the realms of your kingdom. Father, forgive us for not always treating you as king, taking all the benefits of the kingdom, but not treating you as king. So, Father, help us understand that with the kingdom comes the king. Forgive us of that. Continue to be patient with us, God. God, continue to author our story, even in spite of our imperfections. We pray this through your son's name. Amen.